0: Shall we pray our father we thank you for the word that's been preserved um, given to us by the spirit and then uniquely preserved out of all human documents thank you that it's through the opening of the scriptures that we have the encouragement we have hope to continue to press on thank you for the confession thank you for how it has summarized so many portions of scripture that are helpful for our lives And as we come to this uh, teaching this evening, we ask that you would be our teacher in applying your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I would invite you to open God's word with me to Romans chapter 13. And you see in the bulletin, the outline there that we're starting the chapter on uh, the civil magistrate, civil government. This subject of uh, civil authority is prominent in all of the Reformed confessions. And from a historical perspective, it's a very interesting chapter because the original Westminster Confession and the American Presbyterian um, copy of the Westminster Confession take different directions in this chapter and especially on section number three. For our day and living in a post Christian uh, culture and government that's often very hostile to Christ. This is a very helpful chapter in addressing the question, what is our role to this government that God has placed us in? And it's timely. We're after a week of dis- can be a discouraging national election, seeing the growth of evil and the t- continuing decay of our culture. Uh, is God still in charge of the government and the rules of men? Tonight we'll be looking at section one, that civil authority is under God. The Bible teaches us that God establishes all civil authority, and then this section is also addressing that God defines all civil authority. Let's begin by looking at how God establishes all civil authority in reading from Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. "'Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God.' And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. God is sovereign over all things. And as it relates to government, he has established all government generally. But even more specifically, he has established each ruling governor uh, as his appointment. Generally speaking, God has established all human government. It's His design. Romans 13 is perhaps the most single important New Testament teaching on the role of civil government. R.C. Sproul said the Christian civil responsibilities, as set forth by the Apostle Paul, have been declared by some historians the most important document in the political history of Western civilization. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 2, a better translation if you have the new American standard. If you resist authority, you oppose God's ordinance, God's institution. This is His design. When was civil government established? When was it first established in Scripture? And your mind should race back to Genesis 9. After the flood, the Noahic covenant, God established there in seed form, germ form, human government. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God has made man in his own image, Genesis 9, 6. There's the beginning of God establishing civil government to curb the evil of the human heart and to preserve life. God establishes human government. And the Noahic Covenant is given to all cultures, all time, just as the rainbow is universal. So is this covenant. And so, God's common grace—he establishes the civil government to preserve evil. Augustine said that human government was a necessary evil, made necessary because of evil. We people need to be protected. And that is the role of the civil authorities which are instituted by God. We see the, uh, the consequences, don't we, when God removes his hand even from common grace. Think of Haiti being uh, just destroyed by the, the gangs. When God removes his hand of common grace, of civil government, it's a fearful thing. Here in America, we like to speak as our government is being derived by the authority of the governed. But there's more to it than that. Some suppose that the right or legitimate authority of human government has its foundation ultimately in the consent of the governed, the, the will of the majority, or in some imaginary social compact entered into by the forefathers of the race at the origin of life, A.A. A. Hodge. But God says that government comes from him, it has the authority from him. With or, without, with or without the consent of the governed, God is establishing all government So, Luther then would refer to the church as the government on God's right hand, the kingdom there, and the civil government on the left hand, that kingdom. Two kingdoms, the church and the state, both ruled by God under the sovereignty of God, both accountable to God, two separate institutions that God is ruling both kingdoms. Jesus is now the head of the church ruling the church and he is also the ruler of the kings of the earth Revelation 1 and these these are held in balance the state is not above the church that's in Anglicanism that's in the state church systems and the church is not above the state as in Roman Catholicism of the, the middle ages uh, there's two governments two kingdoms that Christ is ruling over both and so there's a legitimacy there's an accountability of all human government that. Ch- Church or state is from God and accountable to God. No government is autonomous from God. You can't separate state and God. To try to do so, as R.C. Sproul said, a state that refuses to acknowledge its subordination to God is on a collision course with the Lord of history. God has established all government generally, but we can push that more. More specifically, God has established each governor specifically as his appointment. And Romans 13 is saying that repeatedly. How many times does it say it? It starts right off in verse 1. The Greek word for authority is, occurs six times in these seven verses, and the word is a delegated authority, power that's given to it, one person by another. And Scripture is teaching that all rulers are only delegated authorities by God. And Look at verse 4, the civil authority ruler is gods and there's the emphasis he's gods whether he knows it or not willingly or not he's god's what servant and it's a word for table service a lowly service that's all he is but he's god's delegated servant it says it in the negative first one there is no authority except from god The NIV has it, except that which God has established, none. And that's the reason that you submit to authority, because if you don't submit to authority, you're in rebellion to God, because God has established him. Submission is not based on the merit of the ruler, but to God who's appointed the ruler. There is no authority except from God. That's stated in the negative, then it's stated in the positive. And the authorities that exist are appointed or instituted or established by God to arrange in order, to ordain, to set in place. All authority is simply by God's providence. Notice that it's not qualified if they're good, good men or women, or if they're moral, or if they're Christian. We're not told to submit depending on their character. No, each and all, each individual ruler has been appointed by God. And that's something for Paul to say. He's living under the Roman government. And he would face so many years in prison, yet he clearly affirms every ruler has been appointed by God. I've seen them, perhaps you have too, after a very frustrating election. People put the signs on their front lawn, he's not my president. They're expressing their anger, it didn't go their way in the election. Well, according to Romans 13, yes, he is your president. (laughs) And if you wrongly resist him, there's a correct way to resist. But if you wrongly resist him, then you're wrongly resisting someone that God has appointed. The church may grow. The church may live. The church may prosper under any government. And that's encouraging, especially as we've prayed today, especially for the persecuted church. There's no government under which the church is incapable of bringing glory to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, church can exist and grow under communist governments capitalistic monarch republic humanistic islamic christian Daniel 2:21 blessed be the name of god forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and mighty changes times and seasons he removes kings and sets up kings and of the pagan Nebuchadnezzar, he goes on verse 37 You, Nebuchadnezzar, O king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory and into whose hand he has given. Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, making you rule them all. God establishes all civil authority, generally speaking, but he also establishes each each ruler by his appointment. And we need to quickly get to the qualification, but that does not mean that God approves of each ruler or their character or their actions. Just because God establishes all authority does not mean that God approves of their character or their actions. That applies to the systems of government. God has not approved a particular form of government as being good There are some that are more good, some that are less good. That also applies to individual rulers. The Hitlers, the Lenins, the Stalins, Mao Zedong, or whatever president of the United States, they're ordained by God. That does not imply that the ruler is approved by God. Of the unbelieving Pharaoh, Romans nine, I raised him up for my glory. Acts 4:26 the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wicked Herod and Pontius Pilate, crucifying the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, Rulers appointed by God, not approved by God. This is the dilemma of Habakkuk, wasn't it? He goes into a tailspin when he hears that God's going to use Babylon to judge Israel. It isn't that God approved of wicked pagan Babylon, but Babylon was appointed as God's instrument to discipline Judah. Jeremiah 27, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, with my great power and my outstretched arm, I made the earth and its peoples and the peoples that are animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will make even the wild animals subject to him. Daniel 425, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It's really an application, isn't it, of that the greater principle, deeper principle, the application of the mystery of, of evil, the mystery of sin. Is evil included in the decree and plan of God? Yes, it is. But God never approves of evil. He tempts no one to sin. How can God include evil then in his plan? He does. It's a mystery to us, but he doesn't approve of evil. So, too, all the evil rulers are there by God's appointment, not necessarily approving of them as people or of their actions, but God is using them to accomplish his greater purposes. He's using them to spread the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the encouragement that we need to have when there's bad elections. That's the encouragement that we need when we see immoral laws God knows, and he is ordaining even that for his purposes, maybe for judgment, but he is ordaining even that. God establishes all civil authority, generally speaking, specifically, but with the qualification that does not mean that he approves of each ruler or of their actions. The the second part of this section in the Confession also is that God defines all civil authority. Do us well to remember the context of writing of the Westminster Confession. What was happening when they were writing the Confession? They were in the middle of a civil war, the king against the parliament. And in recent memory, Christians had been martyred just for reading their Bibles by the monarch, by the rulers, This confession being written during war and the issue of the role of government, it comes with some weight, each word that they chose to put down here. And what is the responsibility of civil government? It's to to promote the evil and to punish the evil. Leaders are responsible to promote the good, the public good. Romans 13, 4 says it's to do you good. It's not addressing the exception. What do we do? the government that's persecuting Christians, but the norm is they are to do good. What good? Is it the good of the state, the good of the stock market, Uh, the good of my neighborhood? What what is the good? A parallel passage which can help us here, the Apostle Paul also writes in 1 Timothy 2.2, Uh, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's the good that they are to promote, to protect life and property and peace, so that the spread of the gospel can grow, so that Christians... And their lives can prosper. Jeremiah 29.7, pray for the peace of Babylon. And for in the peace thereof, you shall have peace. Their other responsibility is to punish evil. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Three very important truths here. First, the state is one of the ways that God uses to bring about justice the civil rulers are agents of god's wrath to bring about justice that means through the state through its laws through its courts god brings about even in this sinful broken world a partial anticipatory provisional manifestation of his wrath of justice even as we wait for the day of the wrath of the lamb revelation 6:16 6, God brings about justice normally through the civil courts of justice. Partially, because there's no human government that has ever given perfect justice. None. We're sinners in a sinful world. We don't expect perfect justice in this broken world. But nevertheless, the civil government is God's normal way that he has established to bring about even any level of justice and to execute his wrath on wrongdoers. They're not to have an arbitrary sense of justice. They are to rule by God's righteousness, and God will bring them to account. Every law of every society will be judged on the last day by God's moral law, and they will receive God's final justice. The justice of every nation should not be determined by the wish of the majority. It should not be a vote of nine justices, We need president, we need officials, we need rulers that are more concerned with the next generation than the next election and to vote for what is right, not popular, not expedient, but what is right. The state is one of the ways that God uses to bring apart, bring about justice. And even though no government will ultimately administer perfect justice, The second principle is that the individual is not given the authority that God has given the state for justice. No individual can step into the role of the state and and carry out justice. The Christian can, the Christian should use all legal means and right of appeal. If a thief breaks into your home, you have every right to, you should call the police. You should use the courts to sue for damages, but you can't go beyond the law. You can't take justice into your own hand. You can't be, go beyond what the law has allowed or its vigilantism. Look at what Paul has just said in Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never Never avenge yourselves, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge. And he is given to a measure, the vengeance to the civil authority to execute wrath, not the individual. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We do not take the judge's place. Romans 12:19 God says vengeance is mine That's my reserved parking place That's my name there that you see Mine alone You get out of here leave room for God's wrath get out of his parking place He's coming to execute perfect justice and no one will ever succeed in any way against God's truth God's justice God's control God's will The ungodly will never get away with it, guaranteed. And you're to believe that, and you're to apply it personally. Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressor is hard, whether that's of a nation or whether that's of an individual. Empires have come and gone that have set their hearts against God, and so too of individuals, even of great power and wealth and philosophers. They don't win. So, When evil has treated you and come into your life or those that you've loved, when you feel something has affected you that is extremely unfair, when you look and see unbelievers seem to get away with it, they won't. No one will ever succeed in any form against God's truth or God's justice or God's control. Don't take God's place. You may not understand how God has planned for this injustice in your life, but it's under his plan and you know that those who have done you wrong will one day be held accountable for every word, every action, every motive. And you need to stand back and look at the larger picture. Don't be discouraged when it seems like evil has gotten ahead. You do not take the judge's place. Back off. Leave room for my, my place. It's mine to avenge. Because the verse goes on, I will repay always the wrath of God will always bring about perfect justice for his people Deuteronomy 32 vengeance is mine and recompense for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants second Thessalonians 1 6 God is just he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of the power, of his power. And it starts with how? God is just. He will pay back. The Lord will avenge his people. So what's our response? We are to transfer that whole situation to God's account. Turn that over to him to collect on the vengeance, to collect on the wrath. Collection agency. Hope none of you have ever had to deal with them. It's when a store cannot get someone to pay their debt, and so they give the debt over or sell the debt to a collection agency. The collection agency then goes after the debtors to try to get what they can get. That's this imagery. That situation where you've been wronged, that situation where you've been sinned against, that situation where you need God to avenge you and to protect your name, you transfer it over to God. He's your collection agency. They will never get away with it. God will deal with them. And then you get out of his way. He's going to execute judgment. Back off, is Romans 12. It requires us to cast it to the Lord, doesn't it? I leave this in your hands. I refuse to burn emotional energy over it anymore. I'm going to trust you that you're going to figure this out. And I refuse to take any vengeance into my own hands. And as you do this, as you transfer this, To the Lord Jesus Christ, you have every assurance that he has felt and experienced everything that you're experiencing. He has felt injustice to the fullest degree. He was unjustly crucified, and yet he prayed for the Father to forgive those that did not know what they were doing, Luke 23. He understands your struggle when you're sinned against, and when you're sinned against unjustly and wronged, So when you see wrong into your own life, when you see other believers harmed and sinned against unjustly, the unbeliever is not going to get away with it. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your forgiveness of sins. You're trusting in him. It's your only hope for salvation and his work upon the cross. And so rest in that and stop fretting. It only leads to evil. And stop any envious thoughts. the wicked are not going to succeed. They will not. You can commit your way to the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't take the judge's place. It's his to avenge. The Lord will avenge his people. So it brings you to the, the question, the thought, then, so what do we do when we don't see justice in the courts? We don't see justice in the, through the laws. Still, Romans 12:17 is an absolute command. never repay evil for evil no qualifications, never, anyone no individual is to go beyond and outside the law to take your law into your own hands no one can go outside the law to bring about justice there's no vigilante justice even though it's the theme of a lot of movies the movie theme is corporate America has gotten away with swindling and here comes this avenger to take down the corporation or a judge and here comes the avenger, not even for murder. So how, how much more even lesser crimes? Remember in the Old Testament, if somebody runs to the city of refuge and says, I've, I've committed murder accidentally, but I, the ax fell off and killed somebody as I was swinging it and what would happen? there would have to be a full trial, investigations by the civil authorities. And only then would they be allowed to come into the city of refuge and stay there the rest of the life of the high priest. That meant that the kinsman redeemer, the family member could not take vengeance and could not take the life of the one who killed their family member, even for murder. Justice is never given to the individual. It has to be processed through the courts and through the civil government that God has established. Yes, use the law, use the civil government for justice. The apostle Paul did, he appealed to the rights that he had as a Roman citizen not to be beaten. If somebody steals your wallet, yes, you can use the police. Yes, use the courts for restitution. And yes, work hard to change the government so that the laws become more just. And yes, appeal, use all lawful means that you have. And it's appropriate to remember, even in the church courts, we have the rights of appeal. Every believer has the right to appeal to the presbytery and action of the session, or even to appeal to general assembly. We have that protection of appeal. Use the appeals. But then you reach the point where, I don't know what else to do. And at that point, you leave it in God's hand. He will bring about justice in his time. It's the same principle as 1 Corinthians 6 where the apostle says one Christian cannot take another Christian to civil court. And the apostle says, no, it's it's rather you are to be wronged. There comes a point when an individual has to submit to temporary injustice because you're waiting for God to bring about justice in his time. But you reach a point when you say, I've done all that I can, and at this point I have to just submit to injustice temporarily because they're not going to get away with it. God will bring about justice on his day and his time. Bringing about justice outside the law is not given to individuals. We read the account of where David had received very abusive treatment by Nabal. It was Such a wicked man, no one could talk to him. His name name means fool. And David was, he was lit a fire under him. He was going to get revenge on how Nabal had treated his men. 1 Samuel 25, David said, Surely in vain I've guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more so if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. He was intent on murder and he was going to murder Nabal and all of his men. But Nabal's wife Abigail comes and pleads with David. Scripture picks up when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on his face and bowed to the ground. She followed his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, her husband, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, folly is with him. And godly Na- Abigail brings this gift and quiets David in his anger and his vengeance. And then David says, Now then, my Lord, the Lord has restrained. Uh, you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil be to my Lord, be his Nabal. And now let this present that your servant is brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. And God used Abigail's counsel to quieten David and he repents of his sin and he blesses Abigail may you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and for avenging myself with my own hands. He was ready to take the law into his own hands and would be guilty of bloodshed. But He was determined to avenge himself. John Murray said, we may not as private citizens Take upon ourselves the execution of the demands of justice in the severe, in the sphere of government. No individual can usurp the taking of justice what God has given to the state and mandated for the state to do. Should the state be protecting the lives of the unborn? Yes, absolutely. There should be justice for them. But when the states and their laws do not protect the lives of the unborn, does that mean that Christians as individuals can then take matters into their own hands? Vigilantes years ago, uh, as Paul Hill was an example, uh, went out to, and he shot an abortion doctor. Vigilantes that shoot abortion doctors are completely out of accord with Scripture. Executing justice for murder is never given to the individual. It's given to the civil government. Yes, a society that does not execute for murder and does not protect the dignity of life is under God's real judgment. But it's never left to the individual to take the justice into his own hands. Proverbs 20:22. 20, Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not retaliate. John Calvin wrote, Vengeance is forbidden us in every case, without exception. However wicked the man that has injured us may be, we must refrain from inflicting injury. And he knew persecution, and he knew injustice. Any matters of your own heart that been sitting there and you wish that you could get even. You hate what a particular person has done to you. Maybe there's somebody's face, somebody's name. As soon as that name is said, it just gets you all stirred up again how much they've hurt you and hurt others. Will you, by faith, use all the means that God has given to you, established in the civil courts, established in the church courts, to resolve it? But if it can't be resolved, then will you back off and will you leave it in the Lord's hands for his justice to be done at his time? And he will. And you can reaffirm that tonight and you can believe it deeply and you can rest in the Lord and you can have hope in him that God is your avenger. Shall we pray? Father, in all of our lives, there are those situations that people have sinned against us and wronged us. Even daily, we sin against others and others sin against us. But there are those times that are grievous and deep and and wound deeply at the injustice and are sin, being sinned against. Cause these principles to go deep into our hearts and minds and cause us to And those days to apply them, perhaps there's some even tonight that are struggling with deep hurt and a desire to get even, we pray that they will know how to proceed and to use the means that you've given, and then give them great grace to trust you to be their avenger and to protect their name. Our Father, how grateful we are that you are the God who has promised that you are You will be the avenger for your people, and so we can even do good to those who have wronged us because they will never get away with the harm that they have done to Christ and to his church. Thank you for this hope of the scriptures, and we would ask that you would apply it to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.